All right, well, guys, it's hard to believe, but it's been like 1,100 days since we've been together for a 24-hour period of time called our men's retreat, and so we're looking forward to being back together. I hope you will come. I know you're busy, so it's 24 hours. You're back in your own bed by Saturday night to sleep, so hope you'll join us Friday and then Saturday as we enjoy one another, look at the Word of God together as well, and so... Like Mike said, you can do it on your app, very easy on your phone. You can sign up there, or you can do it out in the portico after the service this morning. So, hope you'll join us. This morning, we're beginning a new series called Neighbortude. And yes, that is a word that I made up. You won't find it in the dictionary. But it's intended to challenge us to be neighbors with tude, attitude. But not like the bad attitude that some neighbors have. Neighbortude is living as neighbors with the attitude of Jesus. Neighbortude. And part of that is what we're experiencing even now in our community in Jacksonville with all of the argument and the conversation around the HRO and the mayor's promise that he would veto it and then is saying he's not going to veto it. Uh, I I simply want us to recognize God has placed us in this community to be the people of God. And the scripture says we should pray specifically for our governing authorities. So uh, I know our mayor has said he's not going to change his mind, but the Lord turns the heart of the king. And so we simply ask. So I want us to pray together and we'll ask the Lord to be at work in our mayor's hearts. Bow with me. Father, thank you that we can cry out to you and believe that you are a God who does the impossible. So we know that a man has chosen to say, I'm not going to do what I said. Our mayor is professing Christ follower, and so we're simply asking on his behalf that he would have courage and conviction to do as he has said, to do as he has promised, that you would strengthen him for the role that you have placed him in. We do believe, Lord, our mayor is there by your design. He's a minister of God, and I pray that he would function in righteousness according to honoring the one who has placed him there. So thank you for the privilege to pray. Thank you for the privilege to believe that you can turn the heart of a king. You can turn the heart of our mayor. And so we're asking that you would do that to the praise of your glory and for the sake of righteousness in this city, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So when we look at neighbortude, the attitude of Jesus toward our neighbors, we're going to be looking at two passages, Philippians 2 and Luke 10, throughout these weeks together. Let's go first to Luke 10 this morning, and we're going to find in Luke chapter 10 a conversation that happens with a man and Jesus that will lay the groundwork for our attitude toward our neighbors. It begins like this in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The man says, a lawyer stood up and put him, that him is Jesus, so he puts Jesus to the test, and here's the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, pause for a moment. Pull yourself out of the story. Imagine the question has been asked of you. 
what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Formulate your answer in your mind right now. Don't think it would necessarily take long, but if someone, your neighbor, literally said to you, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What would you say to them? What's interesting is none of you actually said what Jesus said. What Jesus said was, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? He answers the question with a a question. So this is not the point this morning, but an aside to the point is this. Neighbor toot is filled with curious dudes. See if you can remember that. How curious are you? Or do you just have answers? Christians love to have answers. Christians ought to love questions a whole lot more. Jesus knew the answer. He had a lot better answer than you would have to, how do I inherit eternal life? But he doesn't give an answer. He says, hey, you're a lawyer. Don't think, you know, Rogers Towers, a law firm downtown. Think guy who knows the scriptures forehand, backhand. He knows it in and out. You know the scriptures. What's it say to you? How do you read it? He answers the question with a question. If you want to get to know your neighbors, be more questions, less answers. Curious dudes, part of neighbor too. So he asked him, well, how's it read to you? The man answers Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So that's what he thinks. Is Jesus going to give him a thumbs up, thumbs down? Is he going to say, in other words, like gladiator, let him live, or are you going to die with that plant? So is he giving him a thumbs up, thumbs down? Show me, show me. That's not what you would have said, but you're giving him a thumbs up? You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus gives him the thumbs up. So at first pass, this seems like pretty basic conversation. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, what do you think the scripture says? I think the scripture says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You got it. Go and do it. So it, it, it seems all clean until the guy asks a second question. Another aside for you. Oftentimes the second question is the more important question than the first question. The first question is often the warm-up. You want to know what somebody really has. Listen for the second question. Often the time the second conversation, conversation more important than the first. So he asks a second question. Who's my neighbor? So let me ask you a question. Is that a hard word, neighbor? Is that within your vocabulary? Is it in the vocabulary of the typical lawyer? No. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, it's, a kind of a, it's, it's kind of a lawyer type question. Who's my neighbor? Like, you don't know what neighbor means? That's not a hard word. So if you were going to define neighbor, how would you define Neighbor. Yeah. Uh, who's your neighbor? Well, very simply, it's those who literally live beside me or near me. If you don't trust me, look it up in your dictionary. That's what it says. Your neighbor is someone who literally lives beside you or near you. So when the man asks the question, who's your neighbor? It's actually a pretty good question. Who is your neighbor? 
So let me encourage you to do something. Maybe at the bottom of the space in your message memo, I want you to imagine Google Maps looking down at your house and tell me what you see around you. So to show you what I mean, here's the road coming into where we live. Here's where Doug and Jackie live. We don't have blue roofs, but we have neighbor, 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 neighbor. These are the 12 folks who live around us. I want you to now visualize your neighborhood and you draw it with where you are in just little squares with where your neighbors live around you. And I have some theme music for you while you do that exercise. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? My neighbor? I'm glad we're together again. So cute, but anybody want to be your neighbor? Did you look, that, look down at your map you just drew? Did you draw it or did you bail out on me? All right. You, you actually, any of those folks going, man, I, wanna, I want to be their neighbor. It's kind of a cute song. You ought to listen to it again. It's, uh, not right now. But there's some simple, profound truth in thinking who is literally my neighbor. Like, who lives around me? Who is my neighbor? Because that might seem like an insignificant little thing there, but I would suggest to you, actually, if you really, really believe what Jesus says, you probably would take that little map and you would paste it in your Bible. You might even draw it in your Bible. Here's why. When Jesus was asked a question by the lawyer, Jesus answered the question with a question. The lawyer gave his answer, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus gave him the thumbs up. That's Luke 10. Matthew 22, a man asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And this time, Jesus doesn't ask a question to the question. He answers the question. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So you get that Jesus gives the same answer as the lawyer gave. Same issue. 
Love God, love others. In fact, what Jesus is helping all of us understand, if you're ever trying to define, hey, what's the scripture about? Very simply, love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. So it's actually not a silly thought whatsoever to ask the question, who is my neighbor? You have maps in the back of your Bible? I do. It shows me the 12 tribes of Israel, the divided kingdom, Palestine in the time of Christ. Why do they put maps in the back of your Bible? Listen, they put maps to give you geographical perspective to help understand your Bible. And what I'm suggesting to you, and I'm not fooling here, I am suggesting to you the map of your neighborhood would be the most important geographical map to help you apply the Scripture. Because what's the Scripture summed up in what? In what? Love God, love, who's my neighbor? Oh, well, let me check my map. Really? Who is my neighbor? Who are the 12, 14, 20 people who live around me? Because if I am going to obey the Scriptures, if I'm going to live what the Scripture is about fundamentally, Loving God, loving my neighbor. I have to know the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? So in this series, Neighbor Tune, we're going to establish some core beliefs that, that determine our attitude. Core belief, number one, based on what Jesus said and the lawyer answered correctly as well, that my neighbor is someone who profoundly matters to God. My neighbor is someone who profoundly matters to God. Now you may be thinking, doesn't everybody? Do they? So what's unique about your neighbor? They live beside you. That's what's unique about it. There are a multi-billion people on the planet who profoundly matter to God. But like 20 of them live near you. They are your neighbor. And if you want to sum up the scripture, it's about loving God and loving your neighbor. The 20 people or whatever that God has placed literally around you. So, my neighbor is someone who matters to God. Second, the love of my neighbor is part of my love of God. This is not disconnected from the scripture. This is what the scripture just said to us. It's what Jesus said, what the lawyer affirmed. The love of my neighbor is part of my love for God. If you love God, what do you do? You love your neighbor. If you don't love your neighbor, mm, 
I don't even like to finish that one. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't, you don't, you don't love God because loving God is loving your neighbor. These are the, the fundamental principles. So back up, our series, Neighbortude. We, we've defined it, but here it is. Neighbortude is living with the attitude of Jesus toward my literal neighbors. Towards the, the people who literally live beside me or near me. The attitude of Jesus. So, Based on what we've just read from Matthew 22 and what the lawyer affirmed in Luke 10, what is the attitude of Jesus toward your neighbor? We've already said, (laughs) they matter to God and to love God is to love them. How do you know if somebody has attitude? Well, if you have a teenage daughter, how do you know when they have attitude? <laughs> right? You see it? What is it? It's just, it's just the, it just rolls right out of them in their eyes. And, and every one of you has had that experience. When they've rolled their eyes at you, you have said, don't give me that. <laughs> don't give me that attitude. What attitude? What? Oh, it came right out their eyes. There is always corresponding action to attitude. So, watch, neighbortude, the attitude of Jesus. Toward who? My literal neighbors. Why? What is that attitude? That they matter to God? That loving God equals loving them? What would be the action that would reflect the attitude of Jesus here? Who's my neighbor? (laughs) In other words, do you know their names? Take your map and go, all right, can I I go around the block and, and put the initials of those who are my neighbor? Now, if you're going, ooh, okay, that, that's a little hard. This, I thought you were going to make me do this, so this is why I didn't draw my map. Some, some honest disclosure, disclosure for me. Number one, I could do this because I knew this series was coming, and so <laughs> I would not want to say, hey, you ought to do this, and then you go, really, well, who's your neighbors? Uh, obvi- no, not obviously. Honestly, I want to always practice what I teach. If this is what the scripture says, then I want to lead in obeying first. So uh, there's, there's our neighborhood. Now, second, honesty. This was very easy for me to do because this guy right here, Fred, he's the neighbor every single one of you wish you had, but he's mine. <laughs> he turns 80 later this year retired full colonel in the army, and he knows our neighborhood. In fact, before we moved in, he sent us an email titled, 
your neighbors. And then starting here and working around the block, he gave us a paragraph on every single one of them. I mean, who does that? Has any, have any of you received that when you've moved in? No, it wasn't a police report, not that sort of paragraph. It, it was literally Ken and Lorraine, and let me tell you about them. And he described where they went to school, what they do for a living, how long they've lived in the neighborhood, and any other personal facts that he knew about them. Then he went to Wes and Kalina. And it, it began with an opening disclaimer paragraph that says, this is things I've learned over the years. I think most of it's true. So uh, he might not have it, but he literally introduced us to everybody in the neighborhood in writing and then finished with, would you send us a paragraph and tell us about yourself so that your neighbors can get to know you? And then he set up a reception for us, literally, with all of these folks at their house on a Sunday afternoon to come meet the neighbors. I mean, who really in our present day does this? Folks, I am perfectly serious when I say what, what Fred has done, it would seem is to like think Jesus was serious. That we would know who our neighbors, literally neighbors, were. We would start by learning their names. So, some of you are going, it is my. How would you go about learning their names? Okay, you could knock on the door. I'm your neighbor. We've lived here seven years. I'm Doug. Who are you? That's going to be awkward, right? Right? Okay, That's, it's going to be so awkward, the vast majority of you are going, I'm not doing that. Here's a little key about when things are awkward, you know the best thing to do? Just name it. Hey, uh, I know this is kind of awkward, but, and just, just tell them right off. Because if you don't say it's awkward, they're going to think it's awkward, and they're going to think you're weird that you're not naming it awkward. Why doesn't he think this is awkward? This is awkward. So you think it, they think it, name it. This is awkward. It's kind of funny. We've lived together. Uh, nope, that's not that sort of neighbor. <laughs> not that sort of neighbor. We've lived beside one another <laughs> for years now. I'm not sure I know your name. And that seems a little crazy. I know it's awkward, a little crazy. So I'm Doug. What's your name? Do you mind if I write it down? Because I'll forget. Uh, seriously. Now, some of you are going, uh, you can say that all day, I'm not doing that. What's another way you could find out your neighbor's name? You could go on jacksonville.com and search the property tax records. You could. There's another way. It's uh, prayforeveryhome.com. I'm serious. I didn't make this up. Prayforeveryhome.com, you can actually log on to this website, put your address in, and they will send to you your 40 neighbors. Yes, they'll send it to you because it's public record. And 
what they'll do is they will send you then every day five of your neighbors to pray for. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, man, that is so cool. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I was like, <laughs> And, you know, to be quite honest, I thought this was the coolest idea. And then I bailed because I felt so guilty every time I saw the emails. I was like, okay, click, fast, click. I deleted it fast. It's terrible, I know. Probably should pick another church. <laughs> but I just got overwhelmed. I, I couldn't do it. But for... In fairness, a guy came up last hour and was like, that thing changed my life. And he's the one who gave me the card. <laughs> so for some of you, it might really, really be exactly what serves you. So really. So pray for every home. At minimum, you'll get the names of your neighbor. The problem with getting the neighbors off the tax record or even through this is you still haven't established whew, any relationship with them yet. So all you have done is delayed the awkward. But it's a start, okay? If you can give homework assignments and worship services, my homework assignment to you as we begin, Neighbortude, is if all of the law and the prophets, in other words, if all of Scripture hangs on two things, love God and love your neighbor, then it's a really good question to answer. Who is my neighbor. Well, let me find out. So, if you would, take the challenge, step into the awkward, and learn the names of the folks that God has placed around you. And in the process, you might become the neighbor everybody wishes they had. You might be Fred. Some of you are screaming inside. Doug, I know Luke 10. The guy asked, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus told this really cool story that didn't have anything to do with people who literally lived beside or near the guy. Jesus expanded the man's understanding of neighbor. Is that true or false, what I just said? That's true. To the exclusion of literal neighbors. It's consistent every hour. Did he expand it? Everybody, yes. Did he exclude literal neighbors? There's always like three going, no. Why don't we want to go? No. We have so bought into, and appropriately so, that neighbors are not limited to those who live directly beside us or near us. We've so bought into that that we ended up missing the ones who literally do live beside us. You know, like leapfrog as a kid, we jumped right over them. We've climbed in our cars to go love figurative neighbors and miss the literal ones that we were driving by. So, would this make a difference if every single 1,100 of us said, we're going to take Jesus seriously. We're going we're gonna to base our action on the fact that I, I think he literally meant love our neighbors. 
You realize what would happen in Jacksonville alone if 1,100 of us just took this? Because every single one of us, I mean, you have, you have your little map, and you have your map that you drew, and you have your map, and you have, no, you have my map. You have your map. <laughs> we all have different maps that when we put it all together, check this out. Then that's us in Jacksonville. Well, a portion. This is a portion of the CFC people and where we live in this city. Now, immediately, I know some of you are going, hey, I don't see me. I'm at the beach. What do you have against beach people? Nothing. I just couldn't get it on the map. So this is, this is some of CFC spread across Jacksonville. What if every one of those red dots said, I think Jesus meant love your neighbor. So who is my neighbor? I'm going to learn the names of these 20, 24, whatever it is, folks. That'd be powerful. Let me connect a dot. That I don't know, I'm dense. But for some reason, really never connected before. You know what the great commandment is we are just talking about? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what the great commission is? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Could it be that the cornerstone to achieving the Great Commission is actually living out the Great Commandment. That wherever you go, that your literal neighbors, then you will seek to make disciples there. When Jackie and I first moved to Jacksonville, we lived by Wolfson High School. Two years later, we moved to apartments on the other side of Wilson High School. And then we bought a little house down in Mandarin off of Hood Road. And then we bought another house, uh, not another one. We sold that one, bought a different house with another bedroom in it, uh, close to it. And then we sold that one and bought another house that had another bedroom in it because the family. And so God has moved us around this area in the time that we've been here. Some of you next year are going to live in Illinois. You know what I mean. Not all of you are going to be here next year. Some of you, whether it's for job purposes or family reasons, the sense of calling of God, you're going to go be somebody else's neighbor. What if we simply, wherever we lived, whether it was off of Hood Road or Greenland Road or Julington Creek Road or in Illinois or Japan or Indonesia, that wherever we went, we would simply say, we're going to live out the great commandment, and in so doing, we will achieve the great commission. See, I actually believe in the headship of Jesus in the church and that he, if we will say, Lord, we're available, send us wherever you want, that that could be Greenland Road or Japan. And when I get to either place, I don't need to come up with a strategy. What's the strategy? <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. 
As I live out the great commandment, God will fulfill his great commission. Now, maybe you've seen that, but I've tended to think of them separately because, because in expanding the understanding of neighbor, I abandon the literal neighbor. And this is going to be a callback for us to go, let's take Jesus literally. Let's go home, 1,100 of us, wherever we live, and love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor. What would be the first step? Learn names. Learn names. Now, is, is that the ultimate expression of love? No. But it's where it begins. Learn names. It's a powerful question. Who's my neighbor? What's interesting in the text, why did the man ask it? Here's, what the, here's the sentence I left out. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? So put the conversation together. Hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? You know the law. How's it read to you? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo. Go and do it, and you'll live forever. Hmm. Who's my neighbor? It's not a complicated word. Why is he asking? What's it say in the text? Why is he asking? To justify. To justify what? Himself regarding who he didn't have to love. Because we don't hate people, we just don't love them. He was simply justifying who don't I have to love? Because within all of us, all of us are prone to that same thing. It, it, the answer may vary for different ones of us of who we tend to go, do, do, I, do I have to consider them my neighbor? And so he's trying to justify himself. So Jesus expands his understanding of neighbor, yes? To the exclusion of. <laughs> We're growing. No. Not to the, yes, to the expansion, not to the exclusion. Because we are all prone to define my neighbor in a way that justifies both who I love and then who I don't love. So Jesus is confronting us. And in this confrontation that Jesus has with this lawyer, I want us to come back to the simple, profound, literal strategy of accomplishing the great commission through the obedience to the great commandment. That we would say, we're going home and learn our neighbors' names. Awkward? Yes, I'm going to get started. When the 
Apostle John started following Jesus. He was a young man. And then he ended up as many years of following the Lord, both physically and then after Jesus ascended. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. In 1 John, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. See, pause for a moment. This is not complicated. God is love. And when I am born again, when I place faith in Jesus to be my sin bearer, the scripture says that I am not only forgiven, but he pours his spirit into me so that now I am a partaker of the divine nature. Think of it this way, that when I become a child of God, now I share the DNA of my father. And what is in the DNA of my heavenly father? What's it say? Love. And so if I share his DNA, what will I do? I'll love. Why? Because he is love. So John continues. By this, the love of God was manifested, made evident in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live, how? Through him. See, this is why we say, as a believer, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live through him. And by living through him, because I share his DNA, I love. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Okay, and that's a word that you go, what is propitiation? That's a, not neighbor, that's propitiate. So here's propitiation. By my sin, by your sin, we deserve the wrath of God. Propitiation is the simple, well not the simple, the word that means Jesus took the wrath that you and I deserved and satisfied it by taking it upon himself. So propitiation is saying the wrath of God has been satisfied. Not by the person who deserved it, us, but by Jesus who didn't. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfying of the wrath of God for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, read the last part with me, we also ought to love one another. So where does love of our neighbor come from? Who loved us first? So as we start this series, we launch into understanding the heart of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus for our literal neighbors. I don't want us to begin with thinking primarily, what are we going to do? I want us to begin by thinking, what has been done for us? Because love comes out of 
love. Love for our neighbor comes out of love that we have had from God the Father first. We initiate with them because he initiated with us. We give mercy and grace to them because we have received mercy and grace from him. It begins with the love of God for us. So I'm going to invite the men to come and pass the elements of the Lord's Supper, which is the reminder for us of the love of God demonstrated. So if you have Bibles, papers, you want to put those away, that's fine to do that right now. God initiated love. He loved us first. God demonstrated his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so as the men come and they're going to pass If this is unfamiliar to you, let me explain. They're going to pass a little dish that has some bread on it. The the bread is simply a symbol to remember the body of Christ that was torn on our behalf. Following that plate of bread will be a tray with some little juice cups, red juice in them. That's the reminder of the blood of Christ. You can go ahead and pass. It's the reminder that it's through the blood of Jesus that we have been forgiven. So... I'm inviting you to tear off a piece of bread, to take a cup, and to take just some quiet moments right now to say, thank you, God, for loving me first. Thank you for taking the penalty of my sin. Thank you for mercy and grace. Take the moments now to remember his love for you and to thank him for it. And then we'll have some moments to declare our love because of his love first. sing this together.
these elements are the reminder. God sent his son because he so loved the world so that we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life if we'd believe in him. See, God can love the whole world because when you're omnipresent, everybody's your neighbor. And so he has loved us. And when we take it, we're not only remembering that he loved us, we're remembering that that he loves us and he lives in us. So we take of these symbols, we're reminded that that when he adopted us, he poured his spirit into our hearts so that as partakers of the divine nature, we would have everything we needed for life and for godliness. That we could step into the awkward and love because we have been loved and because he who loved us lives in us. What a privilege. You know? What a privilege. A privilege to be loved and then a privilege to be indwelt, to be an instrument. What grace. Grace to be adopted, grace to be used. So with gratitude, would you take with me? Let's stand together. Father in heaven, thank you for the love by which you have demonstrated towards us in Jesus. Thank you that we have been freed and forgiven, made new in Christ. Thank you that these bodies now become the instruments in and through which you would live and love and work. I pray that you would form in us the attitude of Jesus toward our neighbors. I pray that this week would be filled with some steps of faith, awkward as they may be, some steps of faith of the act of learning names because of love. Lord, that you 
and your name would be made great, not only in this community, but to the ends of the earth, wherever you would send us, to the praise of your glory. We present these bodies to you in Christ's name. Amen. God bless. See you next week.